welcome to a new episode of AI Chats. This is a podcast series produced by the law firm of Haynes and Boone and lawyers from its AI and deep learning practice group. Our intent is to explore the exciting, ever-evolving, and occasionally controversial world of artificial intelligence. My name is Eugene Goryanov, and I'm a partner in the Chicago office of the firm. I'm joined today by my colleague Dina Blixstein from our New York office. And our guest star today, Noah Weisberg, who is the CEO and co-founder of Kira Systems. Today, for our latest episode, we're going to talk about AI and its role in drafting and reviewing contracts. But before we get started, our standard disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be legal advice and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. And with that, Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Kira Systems? Yeah. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Uh, So as Eugene mentioned, my name is Noah Weisberg, and I'm a co-founder and the CEO of Kira Systems. Prior to this, I was a corporate lawyer at Wild Gottschall in New York. And in that job, uh, I really liked a lot of aspects of it, but I realized that it wasn't what I felt like doing for the rest of my life and that I thought there was opportunity around the idea that junior corporate lawyers, of which I had been one and then I was supervising, uh, spent vast amounts of time doing work that they hated, that was super repetitive, that they weren't even necessarily that good at, um, and that clients hated paying for. And it was super expensive. Like back when I left a decade ago, talking about 300, 350 bucks an hour. And that seemed for the most junior lawyers. And that seemed very unsustainable. It seemed very unsustainable to me that people would continue to pay vast amounts of money to have people doing work that they weren't good at, that they didn't like doing. And I thought that was an opportunity. So about 11 years ago, I quit and I sat and I thought, and thought about a couple different ideas and didn't think they would make great businesses, but then started thinking about contract review and realized that it fit the theory very well, that junior corporate lawyers spend vast amounts of time reviewing contracts, that even at the world's best firms, uh, people make mistakes at it, but that often people are looking for the same things over and over again in contracts. So maybe in a change of control clause, or maybe it's change of control and assignment clauses in an M&A deal, or Maybe it's uh, specific covenants in a financing deal, or maybe it's lease terms or subletability in a real estate deal. But fundamentally, you had people looking for the same things over and over again, and we thought that made it so that you might be able to build software to help people find it. So back in January 2011, I got together with my co-founder, Dr. Alexander Hudek. Alex has a PhD in computer science from the University of Waterloo, which is like the MIT of Canada. And I'm Canadian, so that's how that came about. Um, Or a boot. (laughs) Um, And we set... we thought from talking with Alex and some other guys with CompSci PhDs from Waterloo that this was kind of like a four-month project to harness the state of the art in machine learning and apply it to this problem. So we thought it might take us six months to raise money, um, and then we'd still have to build the software. And we're like, let's just 
build the software. And we got about six months into building the software, longer than expected already. And we realized that the technical problem was way harder than we thought. And at that point, we didn't know if it would take us three more months or like 10 years. We didn't think we'd raise money going to a VC and saying, sometime in the next 10 years, we're going to get software like this to work and it'll be great. Um, so we just kept our heads down, kept going. By about 2013, we got the software to work pretty well to the extent that our customers, uh, who include Handsome Boon, um, tell us now that they review contracts in 20 to 90% less time with the same or even better accuracy than they did without it. Um, but we had a second problem, which was convincing hourly billing lawyers that being more efficient at getting through an important task was in their best interest. Uh, it took us some time, but uh, made progress there eventually too. Uh, so we went from being four people uh, bootstrapped in the summer of 2014 to eight people by the end of 2014 to like 30 people by the end of 2016. And we were over 100 people when we took in our first uh, minority outside financing uh, in the summer of 2018. Uh, today, um, majority of the world's best firms use our tech. So that includes 18 of the top 25 firms in the 2020 M&A league tables. Uh, it includes uh, about half the AMLA 100, uh, including like seven of the Vault 10 firms. It includes five of seven sisters in Canada and something like 10 or 11 of the top 12 firms in the UK, as well as like firms in Germany, uh, Switzerland, Norway, Denmark, Portugal, bunch of Brazil, Australia, India, uh, all over the place. So lots of use of our software and not just with law firms, uh, all the big four use our tech and so do a number of corporates. Uh, what Kira does is you can put contracts in, you can put in one contract, you could put in a million contracts and it will automatically pull information that you ask it to find in those contracts out. So that could be like an same assignment or change of control clause, or it could be something like uh, asking the system like whether a certain clause is in this agreement or not, or who the parties are, uh, what the pricing elements of the agreement are, payment terms, all sorts of stuff. Kira automatically finds about uh, more than 1,200 data points in contracts, and our users have taught it to find an additional um, more than 20,000 uh, data points, including in languages other than English. Wow, no, no, that's exciting. Um, I think you mentioned before that Kira Systems uses natural language processing. Can you tell us a bit how does it do that? Well, I always, uh, so in an academic set, like an academic would say that we use natural language processing. Uh, I always find my experience, uh, Dina, in industry has been when people say they use natural language processing, it means they use a rules-based approach. Uh, and I can say that we have a very, um, we don't use rules, basically. We, uh, we've always been pretty machine learning purist. And we think that for finding uh, text and contracts, machine learning is the best way to do it when you're dealing with agreements that are non-standard, right? Like we think where machine learning is most powerful is when you don't know if you're going to be working on a grain company's contracts one day, on a TV station's contracts another day, and on an insurance company's contracts the third. 
And so we felt for that kind of variable type of contract that we needed to use machine learning. But I assume that you meant it in the academic sense. So what we do is we've kind of custom built a machine learning stack. Um, and you can, like I, for the first 18 months of Kira's existence, my main job at Kira was providing examples of what different clauses look like. So now inside the system, you could highlight an assignment clause or change of control clause or a most favored customer clause. And you highlight these example clauses. And in the background, the system takes the different examples that you give it and goes and builds a model of what an assignment or change of control or MFN clause is, as well as what it isn't. And when people run new documents through the system, the system's able to tell, like, this is change of control and this isn't. Um, it's not perfect, but we hear from many of the world's best firms that their lawyers are, again, as accurate or more using the software. So it is, uh, it is pretty good, right? including on agreements that are sort of unfamiliar to it. Now, so how is this model-based natural language processing approach uh, actually different from the rule-based approach? Well, um, so a rules-based approach, uh, so so I've actually written uh, you know, um, uh, two books, but the first book that I did was a children's book, actually, on um, machine learning for kids. And so Robbie the Robot Learns to Read. And in it, there's a little robot who uh, tries to figure out, and it was sort of at the time we had a competitor who was uh, more rules-based and we're really trying to think about how to contrast ourselves to that approach, which we did not think was technically optimal one. And so uh, that's one of the things that came through in the children's book. Uh, so 256 rhyming words on machine learning versus a rules-based approach. So in a rules-based approach, I think it's how a lot of lawyers might think you would get a system like ours to find information in contracts. So you remember in law school or maybe in practice when you used to learn how to search uh, Westlaw or the like using keywords and you'd say like, word within 10 of another word. So like if I was trying to find a confidentiality clause, I might say like the word confidential within 10 words of agreement or something like that. And or within the same paragraph as agreement or within the same sentence as agreement. And that would ideally turn up all the confidentiality language in the contract. Problem is that humans are sort of only okay at doing this. Like we think we're pretty good and there's like research to suggest that humans think they're pretty good at coming up with these rules, but then um, the rules actually don't work that well in practice. Uh, so I think Maura Grossman and Gordon Cormack have done some research on the effectiveness of that. Um, anyways, what we do instead with machine learning is the software, you just give the software a lot of examples and it builds a model uh, based on that of what a confidentiality clause looks like and does not look like. So, for example, in the keyword example that I was giving you a second ago, um, if you just go and try to do like a control F or you build a rule based on confidential, uh, C-O-N-F-I-D-E-N or C-O-N-F-I or something like that with a stem on the end of it, um, you might be both over-inclusive and under-inclusive. So you might be over-inclusive because, in fact, like on 
lots of documents, the word confidential can appear in the header or footer of every single page, right? And that's obviously not useful information. Um, at the same time, it's possible to have an NDA uh, or confidentiality language where you just use words like disclose, like we will not disclose this information and you never use the word confidential. Um, so you might not find those. So you might say then, Dina, like, well, why don't you just build another rule for that? And that's what people tend to do. But then what happens if it's a poor quality scan or people come up with some other way to find it? Uh, in general, through the years, research has shown pretty consistently that in more complex domains that um, – that rules are sort of quite brittle and do not scale well to unfamiliar uh, documents and just are hard to build new ones. So, uh, and, and we've seen that play out, like even that competitor who was quite rules-based at the time, uh, eventually it shifted to being a bit more machine learning focused as well as rules. So I think it's something where uh, there there was already when we started Kira back in 2010, wide consensus that uh, the way to solve natural language processing, complex natural language processing problems was through using machine learning. Uh, took industry a while to catch up, but like I, I really don't know that there are too many people that seriously think that uh, rules-based approach is optimal if you're dealing with varied text. And I think in contracts, you often are. Like It's fine if you're talking about a company's form agreements, but uh, the trick is making the software work on super unfamiliar documents, right? So like, especially with some of the most important clauses, they can be phrased in really variable ways. So I think about like an exclusivity clause, for example, where the clause might say like, you agree to exclusively purchase water from us. But you might equally say, we will be your sole source of water or you will only purchase water from us. And like both of those two latter examples seem really hard to draw a rule against, but they're ones where we've been able to give it enough examples that we feel that Kira is likely to find an exclusivity clause phrased like either of those other two. And like exclusivity is a pretty bad thing to miss and the extra sort of accuracy you get on unfamiliar agreements we think makes our machine learning approach uh, even though a bit harder to do uh, on the back end um, the, the way to go in this domain. Uh, Noah, before you mentioned that uh, a lot of attorneys and a lot of firms are using Kira systems and part of it is because it makes their, war, their work more efficient. Uh, can you tell us how does it do that? Sure. So if you, back when I was a lawyer, uh, like here we are, we happen to be recording this on a Friday. It's one o'clock where I am. You know, another hour or two from now would be the time when a staffing partner might give me a call and tell me that I have a new diligence project to do. Um, and so what would happen is I'd get access to a virtual data room and I would start going through a sort of agreed list of uh, contracts, like probably instead of reviewing all the contracts in the VDR at most firms, um, you'd just be reviewing, say, like five or 10% of the most important contracts. Um, and so I'd open each one up. I'd have a list of things that I was trying to find in those contracts. I'd open the contract up and I would read it, trying to find those pieces of information. And ideally, I would know what those things were, but I could tell you sometimes uh, it can be tricky for junior associates to spot more subtle wording variations, right? Like easy to find the change of control clause that's titled change of control. Sometimes a little bit harder to find the one that 
says no direct or indirect assignment of this contract is allowed. Um, but anyways, you'll read through that. You'll put it in a chart of some form, uh, maybe a red flag report, pass that uh, on to a more senior associate and pass it on to the client. What Kira does instead is it, uh, you can, associates who use Kira um, can take those contracts, they can put them into Kira so they can upload them. They can uh, bring them in directly from some virtual data rooms or in other cases, they can just upload files or folders or zip files right in Kira. There's also API access. It's a really giant project. Um, and they tell Kira what they'd like to find. Like they need to find change control, assignment, title, parties, date, exclusivity, non-compete, MFN, maybe confidentiality, notice. Um, do that. And Kira's machine learning will find information in the contracts sort of right away. Uh, can get through you know, pile of contracts in kind of maybe minute per contract, but uh, there's a whole like complicated set of calculations depending on what has to happen. Uh, but it can do that in parallel, right? So it's like not unrealistic to think that it could get through like 10,000 contracts in an hour or two. Uh, and it'll present the user with both a already created summary chart that lists like, here's the title party's date, here's the assignment clause, here's the change of control clause. But it also gives people a view of the original contract that's highlighted with what the system has found in it. So we have firms where they say, how can I trust the software? And what they tend to do is they tend to review the original contract just like I would have back in the day. But instead of reviewing just a clean PDF of it, they're reviewing a, a, a version of it where Kira has already kind of marked up the things that it thinks it's found. And then associates can change that markup. They can change the drafts. They can export everything in Word or Excel, um, export some stuff in PDF. And they can also, uh, there's a whole bunch of analysis tools like charts and the like to track that. It's a whole bunch of workflow tools as well, like uh, assigning work to people and being able to track who's done what so that uh, project managers can, uh, like more senior associates, can just keep an eye on what's going on in there. Noah, this sounds like a wonderful tool that uh, frees up a lot of junior attorneys' times, makes their work more efficient, and also saves clients quite a bit of money. How do you get attorneys to start using this tool? Well, um, so I think there's a few different things. Uh, number one, many top firms care about accuracy. And what we've repeatedly heard from people is that they know that it's sort of a delicate dance where firms believe they're doing the work perfectly accurately right now, but they also recognize that there are ways that the process um, might yield some inaccuracies. And so uh, one thing you get is firms who care about that and they'll just adopt Kira and try it out. Uh, another thing that you hear about is firms where they're worried about associates getting burnt out or tired, or they're just hearing clients who say they'd like to do work, have work done more efficiently. And so firms adopt it for that reason. Um, but the final thing that I think we're starting to have a lot of conversations with firms about is how the software enables them to provide something to clients that they couldn't before. And that's greater coverage of all the diligence materials. So, uh, Dina, when I was telling you before about the kind of status quo way of approaching diligence, the way that we would have done it back when I was a lawyer for most, but not all of the clients that I worked with, um, but I think is still the case today at most firms, 
is that in a due diligence project, people are reviewing less than all a target company's contracts. And not even less than all a target company's contracts, but less than all the target company's contracts in the virtual data room. And so the way people are thinking about that is they're just going to pick out the most important contracts. And and that and just review those. So, you know, on a four hundred million dollar deal, they might review like a hundred or two hundred contracts, and they might leave, you know, thousands of contracts unreviewed. And they feel okay about that because their thinking is that um, who cares if you miss a change of control clause in the. 50th biggest customer contract. And maybe even who cares if you miss a change of control clause in the biggest customer contract, because ultimately it's just going to come down to the commercial relationship. And if the commercial relationship is good, then no one's going to care about a missed change of control clause. And if the commercial relationship is not good, then you got bigger problems. Um, and so what that kind of makes sense again with change of control, but there can be really scary things in contracts. Um, things that would scare me or do scare me me a lot as someone who's in a business role right now. Things like exclusivity, non-compete, but also MFN pricing, indemnification, uh, or uncapped limitation of liability. And um, exclusivity and non-compete can be especially scary if they bring in upstream affiliates, right? So if they say, you know, we and our affiliates will not enter the electric car business or we are and our affiliates will not enter the provision of legal services business or something like that like those things uh, actually it turns out we've hired some research students uh, and had them look into this like courts tend to uphold those um, exclusivity and non-compete covenants even against unanticipated affiliates and like there have been some really bad ways that has played out um for clients. Now, that risk was always there. Like it was a risk when I was a lawyer, uh, and it, it's still a risk today. And before clients would just kind of roll the dice and hope that nothing went wrong. And most of the time, nothing did go wrong and it was okay. But uh, the thing is, is today, and you kind of rolled the dice because it could cost you like a million or two million bucks extra to review all the contracts. Um, I had one client who would do that, but most people didn't. Um, today, though, you could offer your clients an ability to review all the contracts for like not that much more, right? Like for an extra twenty-five or fifty or a hundred grand, which comprises both the so cost of the software as well as associate time to review the output of the software. You could review instead of a hundred contracts, you could review two thousand contracts. And so, what we've been talking with a lot of partners uh, lately about is whether. By not talking to clients about that, whether they're putting them at undue risk and by putting their clients at undue risk, whether the lawyers are opening themselves up to a claim um, if something goes wrong in those in those contracts. So having that conversation, we're finding is also helping get uh, lawyers intellectually engaged about why this technology can help. Like it's not just that it can make you faster and more accurate, but that like you literally can't do uh, diligence in the same way without it. And if you're not doing diligence in the same way without it and something goes wrong, you could be exposed to uh, a claim. Yeah, it sounds like Kira Systems with its uh, natural natural language processing engine has a lot of growth to do in the future because uh, this really sounds like a great tool where a lot of attorneys would be using it. 
only not for efficiency, but also as a way to reduce risk. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know that you can do you are at real risk if you're doing diligence without it today. Um, but also it will make your people happier. Like I, as an associate, would have been very happy to have had Kira. I'm sure you would have. Well, now, now if you ever want to go back to the law firm practice, here is one of the, one of the tools that you may be able to use. <laughs> that, uh, that is true. Um, there were many things I liked about that job. Well, Noah, thank you so much for joining us today and discussing AI and how you use AI in your, uh, in your company. Um, any final thoughts? Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for joining us, Noah. And thank you also to our guests and listeners for joining us on this episode of AI Chats. You can find today's episode and future ones on the major podcast platforms such as Apple, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Amazon. Our podcasts and relevant articles regarding our official intelligence topics are also located and available for your review at the firm's AI and deep learning practice page, which can be found at HanesBoon.com. Our practice page also contains contact information for all of the lawyers in the practice group. Please feel free to reach out to any of us if you would like to suggest topics for further AI Chats episodes. Take care, everyone, and thank you.